0: welcome back to the horrors hi i'm elise i'm shay here we are with episode 98 we're getting into spooky season i know here we are with 2019's haunt
1: i had seen this closer to when it came out and i thought the premise was actually pretty interesting a bunch of dumb college kids (laughs) go into a haunted house around halloween time with who they think are scare actors but it turns out they're not
0: You know, I always had a feeling in my life that something like this could happen in a haunted house. So I don't really like haunted houses. And I know there's other movies like this.
1: There's another one called Hellfest that I think is pretty fun. But I think this one commits to being pretty mean-spirited and is a little sad, honestly. It's pretty rude. (laughs) It is pretty rude.
0: (laughs) So let's get into it. So we'll start with our ladies. And we do have a lot of ladies in this, which is nice. First, we have Katie Stevens. She plays our leading lady, Harper. Katie Stevens is an American actress and singer known for finishing in eighth place on the ninth season of American Idol. And she is also in the MTV series Faking It and the drama series The Bold Type. I know all about faking it. That
1: makes me sound. Anyway, (laughs) I know all about the show Faking It. I was talking to Elise about this prior to recording. This was the era of MTV where they were trying really hard to throw teen dramas to the wall to see what sticks, (laughs) to try to keep up with Degrassi, which no one can keep up with Degrassi. Like This is when they were trying to remake a US version of Skins. They tried to do a reboot of the Scream franchise like as a TV show. They were doing a lot of things and faking it any queer person during that time probably watched it for its LGBTQ content because we'll watch anything with gays in it. <laughs> and it was essentially about these two best friends that were faking being in a lesbian relationship to get clout at their like coastal high school where being queer was considered being cool, which I wish I went to that high school instead of my own. <laughs> and she is one of the best friends in that and it is deliciously bad. But I recognize her right away from that.
0: Amazing. Next, we have Lauren McLean as Bailey. So Lauren McLean is a former singer in the girl group Three, spelled T-H-R-I-I-I. I love that spelling. I know we do. She was in the girl group with her sisters. Now she's an American actress, and she has several film and TV credits. Next, we have Shazi Raja as Angela. She has a BFA from Rutgers University. High, New Jersey. Hi. Hi, with a few film and TV roles as well. And finally, we have Skylar Helford as Mallory. She is a writer and actress known for Call Me Cat in 2021 and Anger Management in 2012. Getting into pre-plot, this, of course, is a 2019 American slasher film written and directed by Scott Beck and Brian Woods. So Scott Beck and Brian Woods also wrote the script for A Quiet Place 2018. Yes. Amazing. And they were writing this script at the same time they were writing for A Quiet Place. And the success of A Quiet Place is what helped them get Haunt Greenlit. That's so interesting because I liked A Quiet Place so much more than this. (laughs) (laughs) One day we'll cover that movie too. Eli Roth is one of the producers on this film. And the directors say that he was a major ally in the film's creation, specifically helping actors consider their own characters' potential and backstories. And also, he helped cultivate meaningful opening scenes that established the friend group's dynamic. Did he? Did he, though? <laughs> I mean, apparently he made it much better than it was. I was about to say, because <laughs> this friend group of six, half of them are so forgettable. <laughs> yeah.
1: If your name is not Nate, Bailey, or Harper, I don't know what your name is.
0: Um, I know who Evan is. Well. <laughs> yeah. But Mallory and Angela, see, Angela, see, I was calling, the, I was calling them nurse. I was calling them by their Halloween costume the entire time. And nurse and flapper, nurse and flapper. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, I didn't know. So speaking of their Halloween costumes in a haunted house, the interiors for the haunted house attraction were all sets built inside a dairy factory. Okay, <laughs> which is why this place feels much more like a warehouse labyrinth than a house. It reminded me of
1: the basement in Prom Night two thousand eight. Yeah! Or 2000s, whatever that one is. Yeah,
0: I think it's 2008. I think you're right. With all of the dummies and the things hanging from the ceiling. hundred percent. And the sets and costumes come from production designer Austin Gorg, who art directed La La Land and Her. That
1: is one thing I really loved about this movie was the set design. Like every room did have its own unique feel. And I could tell if I was in there, I'd be terrified the entire time.
0: And they made the conscious choice to have somebody work on the set design that wasn't previously known for horror necessarily because he was good at his job working with these critically acclaimed films and they wanted this more like artistic setting rather than something that was necessarily traditionally horrifying.
1: Yeah. And we'll talk about the feel of these rooms as we go into them, but it certainly did create an atmosphere that made it memorable.
0: Mm-hmm. So what the fuck happens? <laughs>
1: All right, so we open with some ominous welding, printing, (laughs) and trap building over the credits and title card. It looks like it could be a Saw opening, honestly. We just got done with the Saw trilogy. This felt very familiar. We are then taken to a quiet autumn street in Illinois. I love how they just said campus housing. That's... (laughs) Great. But they also are in like a four bedroom house. I'm like, what campus housing are you in? Because not to say that people don't live in houses, but it's not campus housing. Mm -mm. This is me working in higher education coming out to criticize everything. Anyway. (laughs) So I wrote, are we in 1979? Because we are smashing pumpkins. Yeah, baby. We get a jack-o'-lantern thrown at the front door of one of these houses as a red truck drives away and we are introduced to Bailey. She is one of the girls in this friend group and she recognizes the truck that is driving away. We are cut to Harper, who is covering up a black eye with makeup in the mirror, and we get a zoom in on a photo with her of a guy who we assume to be her boyfriend as she overhears her friends talking shit on said boyfriend, saying that he's the worst and treats her like shit, and she cranks up Night of the Living Dead to block them out. (laughs) This boyfriend, Sam, is blowing up her phone to no reply from Harper. You could tell that he's acting very possessive and aggressive. Bailey then comes in and accuses Sam of throwing the jack o' lantern at the door. Takes Harper's phone and tries to type "It's over," but the message doesn't end up sending. <laughs> she, she then says, "He's an alcoholic. You know how I can tell because he's an alcoholic." <laughs> Thanks, and Bailey. <laughs> I, and I wrote, "She's indecisive. She can't decide." <laughs> There is like a TikTok trend going on right now where it's like obvious lyrics, these call and returns of saying the same thing two different ways. And this is certainly one of those times. If the light is off, then it isn't on. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Hillary Duff, for everything that you do for not only eradicating homophobia in teens, but also your lyricism. Thank you so much. (laughs) Bailey then goes on to say, I saw your bruise when you were sleeping last night because I snuck into your room to steal your mother's ring for my Halloween costume. I'm like... That's not suspicious. A little klepto. But eventually, she and her other two friends, Angela and Mallory, convince her to go out because it's Halloween. And Harper finally plucks up the courage to actually hit send on the it's over text to Sam.
0: Cue party scene. The group of four girls arrive at some kind of bar. Lots of Halloween costumes. Good vibes. We see Harper sitting at the table with her friends and makes eye contact with this guy, Nathan, across the bar. He appears to be waving her over to come talk to him. So she crawls out of her booth from underneath the table, goes and approaches him. But he does not recognize her, understand why she's there. And he explains, oh, I was waving over another drink. I wasn't waving to you. So that is embarrassing. (laughs) That is nightmare level embarrassing. But he's nice about it. And they chat anyway. And through their conversation, they realize that they're both uninterested in Halloween and super introverted. They usually like to stay at home and hang out instead of come out to these awful public places. I think that they're pretty much the same person, just in different font. Exactly. So as they chat, someone accidentally dumps a drink on Harper, which is how we're introduced to Evan's character. He's Nathan's friend. And Evan is dressed as the front half of what was supposed to be a group costume as the human centipede. (laughs) I loved that. I did laugh at that. And of course, he's pissed because the rest of his crew didn't show up. So he just looks like an idiot. And just then in that conversation, Harper gets a text from her ex, Sam, and is freaked out enough that she's typing in her lift to take her to her mom's house.
1: So she's outside the bar, and she sees a hooded figure dressed the way that Sam is dressed in the photo that he sent her, because the message that she got from Sam was a photo of himself in his Halloween costume with, like, some sort of cryptic caption I totally on it.
0: missed that. I totally missed that. Yeah, no,
1: he sends her a picture message. Oh, actually, good writing here. Hey, because he's dressed as the big bad wolf, and she's supposed to be a little red riding hood because she's wearing that red oh. hoodie. Oh, So it's kind of setting up that tension that she is being watched because in the bar, Nathan's like, Oh, we're wearing a red hoodie. Just put your hood up in your little red riding hood. And then she gets a picture message from him being like, Do you like my costume? And he's the big bad wolf. Oh, that is pretty good.
0: I didn't, I
1: didn't realize the connection (laughs) there, but okay. Okay. I take back what I said about you, Eli. (laughs) She sees a silhouette of a figure that looks like it could be Sam in his costume. But as she looks around, again, the figure disappears and Nate pulls up being like, hey, why are you out here? Come back inside. And they have the most painful exchange.
0: <laughs> this part's crazy. Buckle up.
1: You know, they're standing out there talking about why they don't like Halloween. and He's like, anything scary ever happened to you? <laughs> and she is trying to push the conversation off. And she's like, no, I had a great childhood. And then we're getting flashbacks to like an abusive home. I'm like, we are missing turns in the writing department here, like trying to establish that she has some capital T trauma, but like the way that Nathan is getting this information out of her, especially after meeting her for the first time, is very clunky. But all of this ends with Nathan convincing her to stay at the bar with them.
0: So next, the group of six now, including Nathan and Evan, and then the four roommates decide that they're going to go to this haunted house that Evan has a flyer for, which were the same flyers we saw being printed in the beginning of the film. They pile in a van. As they do so, Harper gets a glimpse of the same red truck that we saw from the beginning of the film following them. She gets a little bit freaked out. They pull over at one point to see if the truck is still following them. But just then, the lights to the haunted house sign turn on and they turn into the parking lot to go to this house. It's kind of a creepy mo- I mean, that sign turning on scared the shit out of me. Yeah, it's a little bit of a jump scare. Yeah, it's accompanied with loud noise as well. There are some good jump scares in this. The sound effects are really, I think, what make them so jumpy. So they pull up in front of this haunted house. It looks very spooky. There's a spooky, spooky clown standing in front. So, so far, so bad. I wrote, too, that this
1: clown mask looks very much like the clown mask we see in Halloween 2007. What? Which you might be getting from us soon. Ooh. Maybe.
0: Oh, also, as they're getting out of the van, one of them points out that this haunted house only has one review on Yelp, <laughs> which is very red flag. But they ignore it. They're greeted by a cloud mask at the door. But you know what makes her okay with it? She's like, oh, but they're donating to the American Red Cross. Oh, then yeah. it's fine. Like, it's that. <laughs> Who is that one? Is that Mallory the nurse? It's the nurse, yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So they approach the clown mask and ask for six tickets, but the clown doesn't answer. He's a silent clown. They're eating it up as part of the act. The clown does this little magic trick where he pulls out a key from behind Bailey's ear and gives it to them so they can unlock the liability waiver lockbox. As they read the rules out loud, they realize that one of the rules includes them having to leave their phones behind in the lockbox, but they can carry the key to the lockbox with them throughout the haunted house. They decide that they are going to sign these waivers. And as they do so, they hear a woman scream inside and take this as a cue to absolutely continue on signing these waivers and going into the house. They think it sounds like it's going to be a great spooky time in there.
1: So they enter. There's some basic enough haunted house decorations, some fake webs, red lights, some canned spooky sounds, jump scares from skeletons. They enter a Texas Chainsaw-esque room with a bunch of things hanging from the ceiling, some like decrepit wallpaper. Some lights go on and they see a witchy woman beyond a wall of glass. She pulls in a body bag and unzips it to reveal a girl laying in it. This girl begins screaming for help, saying she doesn't want to die, while the witch is pulling out a fire poker from a cauldron, whose end is like red hot from being submerged into the fire. This witch brands this girl on her face as she screams, and smoke fills the glass, and they disappear. So obviously, they take this as like a really good gag, like, wow, that looked so real. They laugh it off and move on into another maze where they have a choice to go down two hallways, safe or not safe.
0: (laughs) So Bailey, Nathan, and Angela, the flapper, go one way. They go to the safe side. And then Harper, Mallory, and Evan go to the not safe side. The safe group finds themselves in a webbed hall and they realize they're surrounded by real fucking spiders in these webs. I am speechless upon remembering this. Scene. <laughs> <laughs> then the second group finds themselves facing some coffin trap doors where they realize when they open the coffins, the back of the coffin is shut. But when they shut the coffin door, there's a trap door in the back that opens. So in order to go through, you have to shut yourself into the coffin so that the door opens on the other side. They all take turns going through Evan first, then Harper, and then Mallory. But there's a little bit of a scary moment when Mallory takes a little while to get back out on the other side. She eventually does, but only after a hole opens in the top of the coffin when she's still inside, and a bunch of fucking spiders are dumped on her inside the closed coffin. It's very scary, but she eventually gets to the others, and she doesn't seem too traumatized at this point, which I think I would be, like, in the fetal position on the ground.
1: I think Evan's there to be like, it's a gag, it's a haunted house, and I think they realize the spiders weren't real.
0: I mean, I think they look real, Maybe those specific spiders weren't real? Yes. Okay, because they're not in the same group that saw the real spiders. I actually think they are, because the other
1: group goes through that oily hallway, remember, with shit dripping oh, from okay. the ceiling? okay, And okay. then they get to the armhole thing.
0: Okay. So many little tricks and spooks set up for these people. But either way,
1: those folks that just went into the coffin then see a cubbyhole with a bunch of arrows pointing <laughs> into it that they are going to have to crawl through, and they do not seem excited about
0: it. Um, I, I don't blame them.
1: But then the other group go into a room where they see three holes in the wall where it says, guess the body parts in saw font on the wall. So first, Angela puts her arm through and then Nathan and then Bailey. There's a couple gags where Angela pulls out spaghetti and says it's intestines. And then Nate finds a grape.
0: And then eats one of the grapes, which is so gross. I would
1: not be doing that. (laughs) But now it's Bailey's turn. She says she doesn't feel anything, but while she's tooling around back there, Harper's mother's ring comes off of her finger. So she's obviously in a panic because this is very sentimental to Harper. So Nate sticks his arm through the middle one, trying to help her feel around for it. But while this is happening, Bailey starts screaming. And when she produces her arm back to the other side, she has a bunch of razor marks on her arm showing that she had been cut By something.
0: I thought when she pulled her arm out and we can see like the super thin razor marks on her arm slowly begin to bleed. I thought that was really successful. Just like watching it through her perspective as she's watching her arm start to bleed and you can see all these long deep cuts all over. Oh, it's so scary. So obviously that is not something that they can ignore, but we don't really see too much what happens right away because we jump back to Harper and Evan. They have gone through the little cubbyhole and they come across a hooded man who looks a lot like the one that Harper saw earlier in his black and red floor-length silk robe. He silently points for them to keep moving through the house without Mallory, who hasn't come out on the other side of the cubbyhole yet. Because the cubbyhole, it's not
1: just like a straight through tunnel. There's a lot of twists and turns where like there are dead ends. It's a maze. And she was at one point very close behind them, but she has somehow gotten lost.
0: So they follow their instructions. And part of the waiver in the beginning was, like, follow instructions. There will be points you're told to do things. You need to do them. So I think they're calling back to that form that they signed. So they continue on. And they enter a staircase. This is where it's giving, like, warehouse energy because it's, like, a metal staircase. And then there's a slide at the top. So they climb the staircase. And at the bottom of the slide, we can hear the sounds of a chainsaw below. But they go down the slide. Harper goes first. And when she gets there, she starts asking the chainsaw man for help, and he approaches her with the chainsaw, gets in her face, and then by that time, Evan is down on the ground with her having slid down the slide. The chainsaw man approaches him, and Evan shoves him. Fuck out of my safe space, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and it was part of the waiver that you're not supposed to touch the actors. I thought something bad was going to happen at this point, but it doesn't. It's just, I think, sowing that continued tension, because the chainsaw guy just doesn't react. It feels like the chainsaw man is thinking, like, did that really just fucking happen?
1: Part of me is wondering, like, had they not have broke the rules, would it have gone like a haunted attraction and they punish people who break the rules?
0: That is a really good question.
1: Because at this point, they've captured Valerie, but we don't know what's happening to her.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: I mean, as far as we know, like the first girl that we saw, it could have been a gag still. And that's what they're thinking up until this point.
0: Yeah. I'm also wondering if their fate originally would have had anything to do with the path that they chose at the start, the safe versus not safe. Ooh, that's a good point, too. Because, of course, we know, spoiler, all hell breaks loose, and there really is no boundary. But maybe, like you said... That happened because of the rules being broken and then all this shit going down. But you know what? No, because Nathan Bailey and the other girl, whos I can't tell them apart, they chose the not safe path and they were the first ones to be antagonized. They actually chose the safe path. Oh, the path. safe path. Yes, yeah. the safe path. And they were the first to be antagonized. Yeah.
1: Part of me is like, you shouldn't have put your hand in twice type of situation. Again, like not to say that they weren't always going to do this, but the first time she put her hand in, nothing happened. And then it's when she started tooling around.
0: I could see if maybe she was trying to break apart the set, right? That maybe not saying that that justifies her being cut with a razor, but saying like if this is the logic we're considering right now, I could see her fucking around with the actual set reason enough for these people to go after her. But she was just like waving her arm around in the abyss back there, right? So I don't know. Yeah, the only thing is
1: like one at a time, and then Nate put his arm in, so oh, like true here's the thing. We come to find out later that these people are crazy. So like, yes, they would have done it anyway, but why state the rules and then have that break them if not to show like consequence? I just found that interesting. And
0: especially with what we've talked about over the years, plural, (laughs) about horror movies and how they often portray consequences for people who break either specific rules for like an establishment or like social cultural norms Mm -hmm. or expectations. Like, that's a thought that's easy to have in a film like this. That is a part of a genre that historically punishes. (laughs) So I don't know. Interesting to think about.
1: At this point, Harper and Evan are moved forward and enter the room where Bailey, Nathan, and Angela are trapped in. They are tending to Bailey. They yell at them, don't close the door, don't close the door, but it's too late. The door slams behind them and all of them are trying to catch Evan and Harper up that this is not a joke. They're actually trapped in here just as a curtain opens up beyond a chain link fence to reveal the witchy woman pulling another body bag across the floor. But this time when she unzips the bag, Mallory is in the bag. Mallory, the one who got stuck in the cubbyhole trap.
0: Her friends are looking on, they are crying, they can't get to her beyond the fence. And really, not too shortly after the curtain is open and Mallory is presented, the witch takes that fire-hot poker and stabs her through the head, and the curtain closes. It is quite the kill. But I was brought a little bit of solace because Mallory is unconscious the whole time.
1: Yeah, because they keep screaming for her to wake up, and I'm like, at this point, if the inevitable is coming, don't wake me up. Maybe she's already dead. Well, maybe too. We do see Nate go through what Mallory goes through in terms of, like, the trap door. Yes. And, like, you fall on concrete. Maybe she truly is just, like, KO'd or maybe she didn't survive from the fall.
0: Ugh. Look, I'll take anything I can get. So everyone is crying and confused. Shit is so real right now. Nathan immediately kind of springs into action and is like, we need to come up with some kind of fucking plan. Like, we need to get our phones back. We need to call for help. We need to get out of here. So he takes the lockbox key from Bailey, who was originally holding onto it. Meanwhile, Evan is trying to pick the lock on the door that shut them in this room in the first place.
1: Because Harper says that she saw an emergency exit
0: up the slide. And I love, he can't get this door unlocked. And somebody's like, I thought you said you can unlock any door. And he's like, I'm an equipment manager, not Robert De Niro from (laughs) Heat, (laughs) which is funny. Do they somehow get back out that door that they try to pick? No. So when the curtain closes, another
1: door pops open, Mm. telling them essentially to keep going forward. But they're like, we should not go forward. We should go backwards because that's where the emergency exit is. Nathan is going to forge forward with the lockbox key to see if he can get out and call for help.
0: So Evan sees the fire poker that's kind of laying on the ground behind the curtain. So he tries to reach under to get it, which he cannot reach. His arm is too big. It doesn't fit under the tiny hole at the bottom. So he gets Angela to help in hopes that they can get that poker. Meanwhile, Nathan has successfully reached a different portion of the house. He is now in like a steamy hallway with a bunch of mannequins covered in sheets. It's like a ghostly hallway. And when we have a steam scare that shoots up from the bottom grate, he drops the fucking key down the grate. So that didn't last long. (laughs) And then as he gets to the other side of the hallway, he looks back and sees a man dressed as like a sheet ghost and yells at him for help and actually gets a response. The man is like, did you say somebody needs help? Literally speaks to him. So then Nathan leads the man back to where his friends are.
1: Meanwhile, Bailey is apologizing to Harper for losing her mom's ring. And this is my boo bad writing (laughs) because Harper's like, you know, this really isn't that bad because I grew up in a haunted house and I'm like, God, do better. (laughs) But we get a flashback that's showing that Harper is, again, capital T traumatized because her father was abusive toward her mother and she would hide under the bed to hide from him, but also had to watch her mother being brutalized by her father This plotline really doesn't do anything to serve any purpose besides justification for maybe why she is also in an abusive
0: relationship, and I use the word justification very lightly. Yeah. We're supposed to see some kind of connection, I think, between those two abusive relationships in her life.
1: But neither are given enough room to come to any meaningful actualization at all, in my opinion. Exactly. But she says she has this recurring dream that she goes back to the house and it's not haunted anymore
0: meaning her mother is there and her dad is gone.
1: So finally, Angela reaches the poker, but just as she's about to bring it toward her, her hand gets stomped on. <laughs> stomped. Stomped <laughs> by the witch, but they do end up getting the poker eventually, just as Nate returns with the ghostly figure who is showing an adequate amount of concern to the fact that Bailey is bleeding out on the ground.
0: He has his own set of keys, the Mr. Ghost Man, and he helps them out of the room back into that outside area where the chainsaw guy was before they got stuck in this section. But now they're in the graveyard and they have to climb back up the slide where Harper says she saw the emergency exit. They don't show enough of this personally. I would like more. I would like more
1: because have you ever tried to climb up a twisty slide <laughs> like from the bottom?
0: Like an enclosed
1: tubular. Yes. Yeah. Like they show none of that. Like they just show them starting to do that. And then at the top again, I'm like, you can't tell me that Evan didn't slip and take all the people behind him out all the way down. <laughs> like I want to see how many attempts it took to get up this twisty twirly slide. But no, no. <laughs> Gravity apparently is just too easy and they all make it up with limited problems. Even Mr. Ghostman, who is in a sheet, it can probably get no traction with his fucking costume.
0: But even though Mr. Ghostman is being helpful, he keeps his mask on and his costume, okay? Which I think maintains a huge sense of stress at this point. He's committed to the bit. He is committed to the bit. But when they get back up the slide, they open the emergency exit and it shows the brick wall on the other side. So they are obviously disappointed as tension continues to rise between the group because they obviously had a plan that failed to get out and they are growing more and more suspicious of the ghost man because like we said, he's still wearing his mask. So he introduces himself formally as Mitch. And I think Nathan is like, what's your last name? He like doesn't say. And then he refuses to take off his mask when they ask him directly. And he says, we are close to the end. Let's just finish and get out of here. So Evan is like, fine. They're now back at the point where they need to go through that like tunnel in the wall with the maze on the inside where Mallory was taken or fell through the trap. So Evan goes first and then the ghost man follows and we can see Evan make it out the other side. But when the ghost man follows through, he hammers like a board to the end of the maze, which would prevent anybody else from coming through and meeting them. And Ghost Man had revealed
1: prior to that, that the reason that you can't have everybody in there at once is because the trap door is triggered by weight. Oh. So they would say like, hey, like if all of us went in there at once, like that's how we got your friend Mallory. And they're like, well, where is she? And he's like, she's waiting outside. It's part of the bit. Like it was fake. Mm-hmm. So again, like there's this reassurance of let's just keep going. And they're like, no, we're going to go backwards. And then I never really got the logic of sending the ghost man second, I guess, so that he isn't alone with the girls.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, because Nathan stays with the girls. But he's the next one to go through after the ghost man, and he obviously doesn't make it out the other side.
1: And he actually ends up falling through the trap door.
0: Yes. So meanwhile, the girls are still waiting at the other end of the tunnel when there's banging on the door from the outside section. Harper goes up to the door and tries to keep it shut. With all this banging, eventually she's, you know, she can't keep this door shut. We see it's because there's a full grown tall ass man on the other side dressed like the devil who busts open the door, which kind of like temporarily knocks Harper over on the other side, but leaves her to go unnoticed. So then we see him advancing on Angela and Bailey. Angela quickly ushers Bailey through the tunnel. And as she tries to follow in after, she is dragged back out by the devil mask. And stabbed through the head with his pitchfork.
1: Everything is three dicks.
0: Everything is three dicks. Interesting then that the witch's weapon of choice is a fire poker. So just to summarize, Mallory was killed by the witch. Angela was just killed by the devil. Harper, who is still behind the door, sees this and screams in horror. And she runs back out the door that the devil mess just came from. So she ends up going back down the slide. Is this where we lose track
1: of Bailey? Because Bailey is in the tunnel at this point. Nate has fallen through the floor because she's calling for him and trying to, like, get out the other side. And there's, like, nobody there. But then, obviously,
0: like, she comes back later. Yes. But, like, we're just assuming this is where she gets captured, I guess? Yes, I think so. We just know she gets stuck in those tunnels. Nate falls through the floor. And then, you're right, we lose sight of her.
1: So Mitch follows Evan outside and says, listen, everyone's behind you. He had opened the lockbox at this point and none of their phones were in there. Uh And Evan's like, where are the phones? Mitch says, we keep them inside so that it can't get picked open by other people that are waiting. So someone's just going to get them for you. Meanwhile, the clown is looking through all of their phones in an office, trying to like open them. I guess see what he could sell. (laughs) Who doesn't have a passcode? But eventually, the clown answers a call from Sam on Harper's phone and says, you're too late, hangs up on him, and then proceeds to microwave some of the phones that he can't resell.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So meanwhile... Harper is trying so hard to unlock the door from where she ends up with Ghost Mask's keys that she still has that she asked him to give her previously, that one of the keys breaks in the lock. So then, of course, she is met by Devil Mask, who has caught up to her. And as she cowers down on the floor, she says, please don't do this, Sam. So she is under the impression that this Devil guy, who does look a lot like the guy that we saw earlier on the street, who is dressed a lot like Sam, she thinks he's Sam. But then he kneels down, takes off his mask to show that he's not Sam. And he even has this line that's like, who's Sam? (laughs) Which I kind of love. But we see that not only is he not Sam, but his face is modified with like piercings and filler to actually look like the devil mask that he was wearing.
1: Do you remember those Ripley Believe It or Not books where there was like that guy who was trying to turn himself into a lizard where Mm -hmm. he like tattooed his face green and he put implants in under his eyebrows and slit his tongue and tattooed the whites of his eyes? Like that's the kind of modification we're talking about. Like heavy duty, doesn't really look humanoid at this point type of body mods.
0: Yes. And that was intentional by the art design team. Right, right. That's the look they were going for. So the devil is about to kill Harper, but then Nathan appears with a nail gun and distracts the devil long enough for Harper to escape. Meanwhile, Evan is still outside with the ghost mask. <sighs> do you want to say this more? <laughs> so previously they were trying to get
1: Mr. Ghost Man, Mitch, to take his mask off and he was refusing. So he asks Evan, do you still want to see my face?
0: Oh my, uh, chills.
1: And we see that he's holding a hammer. Evan's like, I just want to go home. And then Mitch recites his home address oh and says, You asked to see my face. I'm just asking if you still want to see my face. And we get a scene of Evan bleeding out on the ground, presumably hit in the head with this hammer. We're back to Yizma. I will hit him in the head with a hammer. <laughs> um, meanwhile, we do see Mitch unmasked and he looks like, I wrote Riff Raff from Rocky Horror Picture Show without skin.
0: <laughs> yeah. So his face is also modified to mimic the smooth features of his ghost mask. He kneels down over top of Evan, puts the back of the hammer through Evan's teeth, like front teeth, and then pulls up and rips off the whole front part of his face. Okay, so we have masks and people in the masks that already look like they're masks. And we also have this, like, weird obsession with, like, do you want to see my face? And then, of course, these really mean-spirited, murderous weapons, like a hammer, a pitchfork, a fire poker. Really manual murder weapons, which I think is interesting. At this point in the game, we're seeing the people in the haunted house having the control and using their weapons of choice.
1: This is where I started seeing a lot of similarities between this and Your Next. And Your Next came out in 2011, but the idea that all of these killers are wearing different masks, but they all share some commonality between them, even some of the kills. I'll talk about it later once all of the, like, methods of destruction have been used, but there's a lot of overlap in the types of traps that are being used. Which, I mean, to some degree, everybody's seen Home Alone. And if there's ever a paint can, everyone's going to think it's Home Alone, right? Like <laughs> yeah. there's only so many creative ways that you can kill people, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of similarities just in terms of the approach between the attack on the house in your next and some
0: of the ways that these folks antagonize these teens. Speaking of a bucket of paint. In our next scene, we notice that Harper, I don't know how she has done this. She has managed to find herself going through like a different part of the house. Like maybe when she got stuck in that room, she was forced to advance through the next portion. But somehow she is in a hallway. And at the end of the hallway, she sees a bucket suspended in the air at the end. So she has to dig her hand around in this bucket that appears to be filled with bits of animal carcasses. And she finds a flashlight. And when she pulls it out, her hand is completely clean. And there is nothing gross on her hand, even though she was just digging around in a bunch of animal carcasses. But anyway, she also has this flashlight. And as soon as she turns on her flashlight, the lights go out. So now she just has this flashlight as her only source of light. Meanwhile, we go back to Nathan's perspective. He is still not reunited with Harper yet, but he is passing by the wall of holes again in the other direction. When all of a sudden we hear this little clink, clink, clink on the floor, he looks down and sees that Harper's mother's ring (laughs) was just thrown at him from the fucking hole. He picks it up, pockets it, continues on, and then notices the break room that we saw earlier where the clown was sitting, fiddling around with the phones. But he sees Harper's red phone sitting on the table. So he approaches it and seems like he's about to use it, but we hear somebody coming down the hall. So Nathan Quick grabs it, goes behind a curtain and stands there and seems to go unnoticed, despite bumping into a fucking paint can and making a clattering noise. He eventually emerges from behind the curtain where he is met by the ghost man. And even though he is engaged in a brief conversation with this ghost man, he is able to, with his hand behind his back, send Sam Harper's location through her phone. But the sound is on and there's a little boop (laughs) of the sent message, which sends the ghost man attacking Nathan. But Nathan is able to get away where he finds a ladder that leads up through a door hatch outside. So he ends up making it outside somehow.
1: Meanwhile, Harper is working her way through a room with a bunch of sharp, protruding objects, knives, barbed wire, and nail boards on the floor. She hears a noise and backs up instinctively, and I wrote, pulls a Saint Maud. Oh, yeah. She steps on a nail, which goes right through her sneaker and then into her foot, which obviously causes her to scream. She is in much pain and definitely in need of a tetanus shot. <laughs> yeah, right? She hears some sawing and she uses the flashlight to look over to see a different mask. This looks like it's like a Dracula mask. Sawing at a rope holding a contraption above her head that is going to turn into like a guillotine type situation. She tries to, I guess, crawl away because she can't walk. There is like tar or something on the ground, like a bunch of sticky paper where she has to rip off the skin of her hands to keep going. And she makes it to the other side of the guillotine just in time to make it into the next room.
0: And this room is different from any other room that we have seen so far in this house. She ends up in what looks like a little girl's bedroom. She quickly moves the dresser in front of the door that she entered through. When she does so, there is a backward message that is revealed on the wall that says, Find the key to escape the haunt. And I wait, I forgot that this is also my beef. So the message is scribbled backwards. So she grabs a mirror that's nearby to hold up and look through. And I'm like, girl, you can't, this message is six words long. Like you couldn't just (laughs) figure it out, look at it. And I mean, it's like scratched into the wall, but it's clear. I mean, like, you know, this is better handwriting on this wall than some of my students have at (laughs) work. So anyway, she needs to use this little compact mirror to see the message. So she is now knowing that she needs to find this key. She finds another clue that says dolls see all. And again, this one is three words long, and she still needs to use her (laughs) little mirror to read it, which leads her to look through this collection of creepy, ominous dolls that are sitting nearby. She pulls off one of the dolls' faces, and there's another clue that says something is hiding under the bed. So she crawls under the bed and finds a small, I think it's like a jack box or a a music box that's shaped like a house. So she cranks the box and as it opens, it reveals a key. Once she gets this key, there's suddenly loud banging on the door and it's busted open, which triggers a flashback of Harper's dad coming in her room after a fight with her mother. So in her flashback, she is under the bed hiding. In her current situation, she is under the bed hiding. And we see that the man who has entered the room in the haunted house is the devil man once again. But an interesting piece of trivia is that the same man who portrays the devil character is also the guy who voices Harper's dad Mm. in her flashback. So kind of an interesting overlap there. But as the devil approaches Harper through maybe the resolve she got from her flashback or her frustration with, I don't know, these parallel situations or just what the fuck is going on in general, she gets fucking pissed. And when the devil leans down to antagonize her further, she stabs him in the eye with the key and then is able to roll out from under the bed.
1: So she uses the key to unlock the door while the devil man is managing the eye situation. And we get a shotgun blast a la Saw 2. Where when she turns the key in the door, the shotgun blast is triggered to fire, and it ends up shooting her in the shoulder. Meanwhile, Nathan is in the process of running away, hears the shotgun blast, and pauses. And we were talking about this last night Where it's like, it'd be one thing if he heard Harper screaming, because Mm -hmm. that denotes that she's still alive and in need of assistance. But usually when you hear a gunshot, that doesn't say to me, there's somebody back there that I can help. I can do something about this. I can do something about (laughs) this. But Nathan believes he can. So of course, he's in his save the day era and just turns around and starts running back just as Harper is crawling down the hallway because she has been shot in the shoulder while the devil man stalks after her and begins strangling her. But in his rage, he forgets about the shotgun that is, I guess, going off in regular intervals. Yes. Harper pokes him in his injured eye and shoves his head up just far enough where he is in line with a shotgun blast and he is shot through the head.
0: So meanwhile, the clown, the ghost, and some like super, super big spooky skeleton seem to be getting ready for something in a break room nearby. The clown asks this super spooky skeleton if he's ready. And next thing we know, the skeleton enters the end of the long hallway looking for Harper. She uses the devil's pitchfork that is now in her possession to stab the skeleton, but it looks too easy. The skeleton doesn't even put up a fight. The skeleton looks more meek standing up than he did when he was sitting down. But when the skeleton is unmasked, it is revealed to be Bailey. Mm. They bamboozled her! And in her dying words, she warns Harper that they're coming for you. Yeah.
1: And Bailey was bound and gagged, but was just forced to walk pretty much into the hallway. Just lamb to the slaughter. Obviously, Harper is devastated. Meanwhile, Sam has arrived. (laughs) Uh, And he gets out of his truck. (laughs) Oh, you're so ready for this. He
0: gets out of his fucking truck. On the street. So he doesn't even pull into, like, the gravel area in front of the haunted house. He just parks on the street, leaves his car running, gets out, leaves the door open, and just walks up toward the house. Which I'm like, why would you ever do that on, like, a dark back windy road that's so dangerous? Men Men they're not scared. And I guess maybe it's showing he's not anticipating on staying long. Maybe he's just going to go in, get Harper and leave. But when he arrives at the house, he does seem to kind of have some kind of instinct that something is wrong. He initially doesn't come into contact with anybody. So he breaks his way in and trips a wire, which we saw being set in the beginning of the movie, which I thought was kind of cool. And all of a sudden, when the wire is tripped, a Bolt is shot into his neck, giving very like Frankenstein's monster. And then the clown approaches him and kills him right away with a massive mallet to the head.
1: But he does it with a golf swing, which happens in your next.
0: You're right. That's why I'm like this movie's your next. Huh. It is a golf swing. It's like a game of croquet. <laughs> but so, croquim. Croak him. Pro- <laughs> So he's gone, like comically fast.
1: So Nate has found his way to Harper and is axing through the wall that Harper is stuck beyond, just as the zombie with the chainsaw is back trying to get at her on the other side. But Harper is able to take the zombie out with the mounted shotgun. Meanwhile, Nate has begun to be strangled by Mitch. But Nate has done enough damage to the wall where Harper is able to squeeze her way through and knock Mitch out, allowing her and Nate to continue on. And as they continue on, they face the Dracula mask who was like sawing at the guillotine trap. He immediately drops his weapons, unmasks himself and says, they didn't tell me this was going to be real. They told me if I killed somebody, I could earn my face. This is too far for me. I just want to get out of here. And he leads them closer to the exit, but he is then shot and killed by another ghoul who, I guess, shoots him for betraying the group. And what happens? Like, they pin him to the wall with something? Because he's, like, out but not done. This guy with the gun they are able to like indispose of this zombie ghoul long enough where they can go escape out the hatch. But then he ends up coming back later with the gun. So they like pin him to the wall. Nathan
0: has the nail gun. Oh, and And he shoots. Yeah. So he does pin him to the wall with the nail gun long enough for them to get away. But then they encounter the witch. She's back. She's back. She comes back through this hatch door. But Harper uh, somehow incapacitates her. Curb stomps her with the door. (laughs) Yeah, well, like, maybe she never got fully out of the door in the first place. But Harper is quickly able to just, like, bang her in the door and kill her. Harper is like, she is raging right now. I mean, this is like what, her third or fourth person that she's killed? She's on fire. She's doing numbers. (laughs) Yeah, she's doing numbers. So Nathan and Harper move on. But as this is happening, we see the clown moving back through the inside of the haunted house, starting to catch things on fire. We also see that the zombie guy who was previously nailed to the wall has broken free and is coming after Nathan and Harper. But Nathan grabs his bat, turns around, gets shot, but he is still able to like beat the shit Will actually take one really good swing at the zombie's head and either knock him out or kill him long enough for him and Harper to jump over the fence and find Sam's car. Because their van had been busted. Yeah, their van was totally fucked up. And I think we saw the clown doing that earlier. In the yeah, way.
1: he stole their keys too.
0: Yeah. But they find Sam's car running, lights on, door open on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> so good job, Sam, for being so dumb.
1: They make it to a hospital where Nathan gives Harper her mother's ring back. We see this like dreamlike vision of Harper driving home, still bloody as fuck, and it's greeted by her mom at the door, which is calling us back to that recurring dream that she's always had about her house no longer being haunted. But there's a jump scare. Of course, this was a dream. A nurse comes in to inform her that Nathan is fine, but they just have to sign some release forms, which is giving her all the kinds of PTSD because they signed a bunch of these release forms in order to go into the house and she remembers that she put her address on hers, her mom's address.
0: Mm. Mhm. Next thing we know, we see the clown arrive at that house, her mother's house and bust his way in. But as he steps foot in the foyer, he gets stuck in some fucking glue. Next thing you know, he falls trying to get himself unstuck, but he lands on some fucking nail strips. (laughs) And he, you know, yells, fuck. He's struggling to get up. And he notices that a shotgun mount over the fireplace is empty. (laughs) Um, As he looks up, he sees Harper standing over him. And she says, let's take off your fucking mask and shoots him. And the movie ends. Yeah. Okay. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, some Home Alone stuff there at the end. Yeah, yeah. He got Home alone
1: but, yeah, like, think about the reuse of some of these traps. Like, I don't know that there was, like, sticky floor used in your necks, but the nail boards. Yes. The big heavy thing is going to swing down and get you when you open the door type thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the masks, obviously, were, like, a huge fucking thing. But yeah, I mean, this one is really interesting. I know you have some things to say about the masks, so I'm interested as to, like, what all that is about.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so into the post plot. This is from the Screen Rant article by Jack Willamy titled, Haunt Ending Explained, Who Are the Mask Killers? He writes, in the age of extreme haunted attractions being not only sought after, but a common point of discussion, particularly around Halloween, Haunt is a timely look at just how much abuse people are willing to pay to endure at the hands of someone who is supposedly safe. The entire point of the film is to put these extreme haunted houses under a lens of scrutiny and provide a what if scenario regarding what could happen if these attractions were for real. And I thought that was an interesting line, the idea of like this movie showing a space where people assume a level of safety. But of course, this is a what if scenario that is not safe. So my thoughts are that this setting of a haunted house is actually kind of a perfect space to bring together expectations for like romantic partners and parents and also monsters and kind of have them coexist in the same plane. So folks generally expect safety from loved ones, of course, but they would only ever expect safety from monsters in a staged performance like this. So again, thinking about this attempted through thread of these abusive relationships, we know we have Sam, the abusive boyfriend, flashbacks of this abusive father. But then we slowly come to understand that these monsters working in the haunted house are also like these abusive, traumatizing figures. So the location isn't only the setting of a rude awakening when the group comes to find out that these monsters are, well, monsters, but it parallels the surprise of facing the truth about the violent people in Harper's life. I dig that. So then this made me kind of think about wearing masks as a theme in this film. So masks usually symbolize the idea of like the inner versus the outer self or like these mask-like themes. And I think of the picture of Dorian Gray. I know that's something we bring up in here. And even though Dorian doesn't actually wear a mask, he still has that painting that rots and molders based on his poor behavior, whereas he gets to remain showing his beautiful face to the outside world. And then Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, again, this idea of duality, you know, inner versus outer self. It's a unique choice then to show killers wearing masks that they have come to resemble with their own faces. So it's like, why wear the mask then? I mean, logically, yes, like those body modifications are extremely unique. And if somebody escaped, they would probably be able to get your ass arrested pretty quickly because of your unique appearance. But I think there might be something to say here about people wearing masks that resemble their true selves. Like these killers wear masks, but they are just the same underneath. Like they are who they look like. But then maybe people presenting themselves accurately early on in meaning, whether we realize it or not, like first impressions, instincts. And I'm also thinking about like Harper's own mask, like her happiness metaphorically, but also like the concealer that we see her put on in the beginning of the Mm -hmm. film, like literally this mask that looks just like her and yet it's not.
1: And the devil using this language over and over again of like, let's take off your mask. You have such a pretty mask.
0: Let's take off your mask. And the ghost saying that. So then it's like, okay, well, what is your mask? But it's interesting though that Harper seems to be the only character that parallels these monsters in that way. I mean, I guess we see Evan get his face pulled off, but I'm thinking of Mallory and Angela. Like, we don't even get to know them enough to consider, like, if they have some kind of metaphorical mask moment. Or even Nathan, who we don't even question his kindness or ingenuity the whole film. Like, he seems like he's just a good guy the whole time. Like, the only person that we're ever, like, really looking at under this lens is Harper. And I'm curious as to why.
1: And it's interesting, too, because, like, she's the one with the least amount of Halloween costume. Because yeah. a mask, like, the tradition of Halloween is dressing up as something else.
0: So maybe that is, so that is what the other's masks are. That yeah. they're they're all in costume. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So they literally are in costume. They're presenting differently than they are, but Harper isn't. And really neither is Nathan, I guess. Maybe that's why those are our two survivors. Yeah. I mean, he's a baseball player, but he does literally play baseball.
1: I mean, and we also hear that line from that Dracula mask. They say if I killed somebody, I would earn my mask. Mm. So it's even the idea that it's not even necessarily that these folks are wearing masks that are similar to what they presently look like, but they have chosen a mask that they want to earn and emulate. Mm -hmm. So maybe they choose this other identity and through the act of doing monstrous things, they earn the genuineness Mm. of not having to wear the mask.
0: Yeah. So I think, even though this wasn't my favorite movie, I think that the choice to have unmasking moments without that satisfying contrast between the mask and the actual face is a really thought-provoking choice. You know, the mask matches the face, which is so different than how we typically see masking, at least in this sense, like in the horror world. It's so different than how we usually see those scenes play out. Something else I also thought was scary and successful about this movie is that it actually takes the fear of, oh my god, what if these people come back? And it shows it play out. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's a little bit of that Home Alone going on, but I like that the clown actually comes after this girl. We know through some dialogue and of course her flashback at the end that she becomes concerned about the address and the personal information that these people now have about her. And the film is literally like, okay, well, what would it look like if this predator actually took that information and came after her? And like, how do you save yourself from it? And she learns literally from them how to take them down, which I also think could be something to think about in the metaphorical plane as well. Like what do we learn from the experiences that we endure? I mean,
1: literally, it's an immediate Laurie Strode from Halloween 2018. Like, what does the rest of your life look like when you are preparing for your reckoning for surviving? (laughs) Like, obviously, there's a lot of metaphorical things you could say about PTSD and trauma and all those types of things. But we know what that looks like. And Laurie Strode built this fucking killer pad, literally. (laughs) Yeah. But she is just a Laurie Strode with a minimal turnaround time. (laughs) but still like what that trauma does and all that kind of stuff and being put back into that submissive position under the bed and fighting back when she couldn't do that to her father. I mean, again, I don't think that there was enough room for that metaphor to breathe. Mm -hmm. And it did feel clunky to me, but I'm glad it had like some sort of payoff in her little transformation into a final girl.
0: Yeah. And specifically like the transformation that comes from facing the trauma that comes from realizing somebody who was supposed to be safe isn't. Lots to think about here which I was kind of surprised by at first when I was finished with this movie, I was a little bit like, what the fuck? (laughs) But then I thought about things a little bit more and some interesting uses of these like common symbols. And like, overall, I don't mind it. Like, I think it's cool that we covered it. I think there are some interesting ideas, even though, like you said, it's so similar to your next. And, you know, we see all the connections to all the other horror films before it and some similar themes. But again, like, I think there was enough interesting new things here that I think actually surprisingly might keep me thinking about this film for a little, while and next week we're going to an actual haunted house we are <laughs> we are going to an actual haunted house in connecticut specifically specifically <laughs> so buckle your seatbelts for that and if you want to keep up with us and what we're up to this spooky season and beyond please follow us on instagram at the horrors podcast and or feel free to email us if you want to get in touch that way at the horrors podcast at gmail.com and until next time we're the horrors bye bye, bye.